Howdy folks, this is professional rodeo announcer Joe Coulter, and I want to be the first to welcome you to Slave the Cowboy. But before we get started, I want to ask you one question. What is a cowboy? Well, a cowboy is about character, honesty, respect, integrity, strength, and truth. And you know when you scratch all that in the dirt, you're going to spell out the word Christ. And that, in its simplest form, is what being a true cowboy is all about. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to learn how to ride for the Lord. And may God save the cowboy. So today, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, you got your iPhones, you got your Androids, you got your chisel and stone or your scrolls or whatever you might have, turn there or just stare at me and I'll read it to you. This is is effortless. It's effortless. So 1 Peter chapter 2. Whenever you hear me talk a lot about the San Pedro Ranch, and and that that was whenever I was in college, um, I, I had gone to three semesters at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas, and all I could think about while I was sitting in those classrooms was I don't want to be here. I wanted to cowboy, and I was dating a girl that that I was had fully intended on marrying. She was my high school sweetheart. And she knew that all I wanted to do was be a cowboy. And I had the opportunity to go to work on this ranch down in South Texas, which is about, you know, uh, three million miles away from Lubbock, Texas. And I told her, I said, hey, man, I got a job offer to go work on this ranch in South Texas. And she goes, well, you're going to turn it down, aren't you? And I said, well, why? Why would you say that? She goes, because I'm not waiting on you. I said, oh, I, I, I didn't realize that that's... That makes my decision easy. She said, so you're going you're gonna to stay here? I said, see you. And I left. Man, typical cowboy. I mean, that's kind of the way, that's kind of our modus operandi or however you say that. That, that might have been a little too Texas for some of you, but that's okay. Not everybody can be from the promised land. <laughs> Did you hear him? He paused when he called Montana the Holy Land. He was waiting on me to say something. But I just waited. I just waited. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I get to the San Pedro Ranch, and I'm just, most of you, a lot of you has heard this, but I need to paint you a mental picture. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a young kid, and it's my first ranch job away from home for any length of time, not, you know, going and helping out a neighbor for a weekend or something. I am in South Texas, and I am the only cowboy that is, is Caucasian. The other uh, three, to, there was four cowboys there in the beginning, but one of them was retiring and he was moving on. So there was three other cowboys. They didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish. You want to talk about being so far out of your element that you're off the periodic table. I mean, they don't even have a word for being out of your element. So I think this is why I, I associate so much with uh, with our kids from China because they're out of their element, and I know what that feels like. But but I get down there, and and they basically told me to show up to the bunkhouse. I, I lived in the little schoolhouse over here, and um, hang on, I was going to do something. I forgot to start my little timer. Make sure I shut up on time. Um, so. I lived in what they called the old schoolhouse, which was just right next to the bunkhouse. So I stayed here. They told me to be at the bunkhouse at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I'd go over there at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and those guys uh, would already have tortillas made. And I, that's what we had for breakfast every morning was an avocado on a, on a tortilla with some salt on it. 
Breakfast of Champions, if you ain't ever tried it, do it. If you don't like avocados, it's a sin, but God will forgive you. Um, but anyway, I've talked a lot about Antonio, the guy that I worked with every day. And then there was another guy named Tomas. I never heard him speak. He might have been mute. I'm not sure. But he smiled all the time, which was great. There, there, there's, a, there's a special gift in smiling. And it wasn't like the joker, you know, like you thought he's going to kill you or something. But the other guy, his name was Eferino. He was the one that was going to kill you. Okay, he looked like Pancho Villa. I, I never met Pancho Villa, but if, if I did meet him, that's what he would look like. And he drove this Dooley pickup, and he is the reason that alcohol was not allowed on the ranch anymore. <laughs> I don't know how old Zaffarino was. He was between 14 and 64. I, I'm not sure. It was somewhere right along in there. Um, at times he looked 14, at other times he looked 64. But nearly every single night after we got through working, when it got dark, you'd hear that dooley across the cattle garden. And he'd be headed to town for the fiesta, baby. You want to talk about pachanga? If you, he knew how to throw down a pachanga, okay? And so about three, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, of course, there is no air conditioning in the old schoolhouse. So the air conditioning was two windows opened up on each side of the room and you prayed for a breeze, okay? And so you, where he turned in at the cattle guard, his lights came right in my window. And so nearly every morning after the bars closed, Zephyrino would pull in. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm pretty sure one night he's going to be drunk, come in here and try to kill me. He just looked that way. He was a scary looking guy. Now, granted, I, you know, he was from Mexico and, 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 and we didn't speak each other's language. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish. And I remember I'd get over there at four o'clock in the morning and he'd be up. His eyes would be so red that, I mean, it was like red eyes with brown circles in them. And he would sit there and he would stare at me while he ate his avocado burrito. Just unnerving. He was never ugly, but he'd just sit there and just look at you. And when you'd ride, he'd never say a word to you. That man just scared the crud out of me. And, you know, and I remember thinking, man, you know, I remember whenever I was in college a few days ago, I used to be that guy. I was the guy coming in at, at two o'clock in the morning and getting up at four or five o'clock to go work and everything. And, and I didn't do that anymore. And it was, I was having a hard time. You know, a lot of times I'd be like, I remember when I looked like that and I felt like that. And why does he still do that? It, it just, it, it was beyond me. But like I said, he, he never said, a word to me, and I was scared to death of him. I had nightmares about Zephyrino killing me. Why he would kill me, I don't know. It was just one of those things. When you're all by yourself, your TV don't even speak English, you're, you're, you're alone, and if we admit it, we're, we're a little bit afraid because everything is so drastically different. And, and I remember we were working cows one day, and it was, gosh, it was hot. It was nearly siesta time, about 11 o'clock, about 1,100 degrees. And um, they told me to go get the truck and trailer and pull it over there, and I was going to haul some cows to another pasture. And I got over there, and, you know, a lot of times you just walk up to the truck, and you just open it, and you get in, and you shut it. But for some reason, I walked around the side, and I'm thinking that my horse was tied to the offside of the trailer or something. And I walked around there, and guess what? I've got a flat tire. 
You know, I mean, a flat tire may not sound like no big deal, but you know, guys, they don't have AAA out at the ranch. Okay, you don't call somebody and have somebody come change your tire while you're sitting in the air-conditioned vehicle. Guess who gets to do it? You do. And when you go try to find the jack, the jack is always in the same place. It's in the other truck, right? Every single time. So you carry your block around so you can just pull the trailer up on it. It's always in the same place somewhere else. Okay, so I'm hot, I'm tired. It's just kind of been, the new has worn off. And I remember, I leaned down and I looked at this tire. Like it's going to air itself back up. I'm just, I don't even, I, I remember this vividly. I knelt down looking at this tire. By the time I quit looking at the tire, I probably could have found one of the jacks. But I'm just sitting there looking, and I heard, ching, 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 ching. There was one cowboy on that outfit that wore Chihuahua spurs. He was a long-haired guy that partied every single night, and we were way away from the pens. Nobody was going to see us. This was it. This is when I'm going to die. Zephyrino is going to kill me at this point, and I'm probably just going to pull out my ninja moves, curl up in a fetal position, hope that I don't die. And Zephyrino walks up, and I remember he's standing over the top of me, closer than is prudently necessary. And I don't even look up. I just see his shadow waiting for the, you know, and, or waiting for it to jerk my head back, slice my throat. Uh, don't worry about what happened. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> if you've been here long enough, that doesn't surprise you, does it? The struggle. Why do Christians struggle? It doesn't matter if it's today. It doesn't matter what you're going through. See, we always think that what we're going through, nobody understands, right? Now, nobody can understand what I'm going through, but, but I'm here to tell you that we're all going through the same things, okay? In some form or fashion, we all have our struggles, and basically those struggles can be, can be categorized into about three different things. Either you're fixing to struggle, or you are struggling, or you've just got through struggling and you're waiting on the struggle to start over, okay? Everybody's got a struggle going on in their lives. But isn't that weird? Because we have, and I think it's the devil whispering in our ears, he says, you know what? If you give your life to Christ, all your problems will go away. But, but that, that's not necessarily the case. It's really not. So why do we as Christians, when we start riding for God, why do all of a sudden we think that everything's got to be perfect and as soon as the hard times happen, and I'm telling you, if you are an avid and authentic follower of Christ, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Not by any means. It doesn't matter if you're moving to a ranch in South Texas or deciding to have the courage to follow Jesus. You're, you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel some loneliness because things are so, so they're so drastically different. There, there's something missing in your life because you don't do the same things you used to. I mean, I, 
I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you because some of you are there now. Some of you were there at some point, and and if you're lucky enough never to have done this, then I applaud you by all means. But man, I, I used to party just like Zeferino did every single night. I mean, if there was a girl, I wanted to be right there, and you know, I mean, it, it was just it was a part of my life. And then I moved to South Texas on this ranch, and. and I didn't do that anymore. I couldn't do that anymore. Number one, because I couldn't afford it. But, you know, th- there was major changes in my life. And when you start following Christ, God is going to lead you to make some major changes in your life. It, you're not going to do it because He thinks he, that you think He's mad at you. You are just by nature going to start trying to be holier. More Christ-like. Not holier than thou. That's not what I'm talking about. But God is going to want you to start living for Him instead of only living for ourselves. And to do that, there's going to be some major changes. And I'm telling you right now, with those major changes, you're going to feel alone sometimes. You're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some family. It's going to happen. I mean, I, I've, I've lost most of the two friends that I had. Before, you know, before I started following Christ, you know, and, but look at, look at y'all. I, I lost a few and gained a hundred. You never lose anything that God doesn't replace with more and better. Maybe not in the same form or fashion, but he always rewards obedience. You know, so, so you're, if you start, when you start following Christ, you're going to ask yourself, why is it so hard now? It used to not be this hard, but now I'm living the way I'm supposed to, and my life didn't get easier, my life got harder. Why do we struggle? You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel really alone when you make those major changes in your life, and you're going to feel like no one understands you. Shoot, you might not even understand yourself. You know, and, and, and here, here's another thing. The, the people around you, they're not going to understand the road that you're riding. They're not going to understand the, the trail that you're going down. They're not going to understand your ride. And, and sometimes they're going to make fun of you or they're going to question you. Oh, now you just want them Bible thumpers. Now, no, I ne- never thumped my Bible, not one single time. Not, not once have I boop, thumped my Bible. And I especially have not thumped my Bible at anybody else. Okay? Gosh. But anyway, that, that was side note. You're, you're gonna feel alone. You're, you're gonna, people are not going to understand what you're doing. And you're gonna try to explain it to people. And the harder you try to explain it to somebody, the worse it's gonna get. So just quit trying. Okay, you're going to feel alone. You're going to make some major changes. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to be like, okay, this is about the time I used to do this and I don't do that anymore. Now I don't I don't know what to do with my hands. You know, as a Ricky Bobby illustration for y'all need to get out more. First Peter, chapter two, first Peter, chapter two. Peter, who knows all about struggle, okay? If there is one dude I cannot wait to meet in heaven, that is Peter, okay? Or, or as my wife gets on to me, Peter. She says I say, I say it like it's P-A-Y-T-E-R, Peter. I want to meet Peter, okay? And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us one of the reasons why we struggle. 
And I'm telling you this, that as you start to follow God, whether you've been doing it a long time or you're brand new, maybe you're just considering it. Maybe you're here, but just because somebody asked you to come and you really don't want to be here, but you are not here because somebody asked you to come. You are here because God called you. You are watching on the internet because God called you. You got this podcast because somebody may have rolled the windows up and locked the doors and you're driving to a rodeo and somebody's playing it on the radio and you don't have a choice. But God is calling you. And Peter tells you why one of the reasons why we struggle as Christians. This is what Peter says. Starting in verse 11. Dear friends. Now that's not like antlers, dear. Okay, he's just saying, hey buddies, okay. Gosh, y'all are killing me today. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to go monotone and stand right here and not say anything. I'm just going to read you the whole book of Peter. Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says that when you start following Christ and you go out into the world, it's just like leaving Lubbock, Texas and going to a place where you don't fit in, where you don't do the things that they do, and nobody's going to understand who or what or why you are doing things. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, dear friends, I urge you because now you are foreigners. You are like an exile. He says... I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So why do we struggle? Peter tells us that the results of being foreigners, outsiders, exiles, sojourners, pilgrims, temporary residents, what he's on a new outfit, I don't care what adjective you want to use, newbies, whatever, he says this. Peter tells us the result of all of that, that it can wage war on your soul if you let it. Does that sound like something pleasant? He doesn't say, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to go get a snow cone and enjoy your nice pretty walk with Christ. It's not what he says. He says to watch out because if you start living like everybody else is living around you, that it's going to wage war on your soul. When we start feeling alone, when we are led by God to make major changes in our lives, when no one seems to understand why we are doing what we are doing, does that, I mean, is that just me? See, I I know. I may not know your exact situation, but I know that that some people have said, "Well, well, so you you just go to church every Sunday now, huh? Yeah, you one of them, one of them Christian people, huh? And then they try to goad you into something. I know. When we start feeling alone, when we're led by God to make major changes in our lives, when no one seems to understand why we are doing what we are doing, then a war starts being waged against our souls. When we are battling in this war against loneliness, against lack of understanding from those that are closest to us, and we make major changes in our lives, we can sometimes resort to sinful desires in order to make ourselves feel better. That's what it says. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You're in a battle. When you sign up to ride for God, it's enlisting in His army. And, and, and they're, they're in, you, know, you don't get to go to, to you know, 
uh, Cancun and sit on the beach and guard the beach, okay? You, you are going to the front lines. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a battle. But there's good news. But what does he mean when he says sinful desires in order to make ourselves feel better? You know, I, I was reading one of the commentaries on this verse because despite what it may sound like sometimes, I, I do study and I, I, I do... I do research and, and I, I try to bring forth as good as I can what I think God is calling me to do. And usually he calls me to talk about the things that I'm going through and I'm struggling right now. So I'm sure that some of y'all are struggling. It says this, keep away from sinful things. This is what one of the commentaries said and I just absolutely loved it. Keep away from these things because to entertain such desires may appear attract. And I'm talking about sinful desires. Keep away from these things because to entertain such desires may appear attractive and harmless, but they are enemies which inflict harm on the Christian soul. And here's what I loved. Making us spiritually weak and totally ineffective. That, that's how you're getting beat in this war. When, when you're struggling and, and, and you're on fire for God and you're doing this, yeah, I'm rocking and rolling. And then it gets hard and it gets hard and it gets hard. And you kind of go back to doing a few of the things that you used to do because it ain't so bad and, and all of that. And we have this real natural tendency to try to classify every type of sin. Well, this is a sin if you do this, but if you do this, it's not a sin. But if you do it this way, it might be a sin. And, and we want we want to have have a sin category on we're, we're gonna we're not only gonna uh, rate it on severity but you know if you just do it every once in a while that's not a sin you know I mean everything in moderation you know yeah because Jesus said just cheat on your wife every now and then you know and cheat on your husbands in moderation no it doesn't say that okay he says and and if you're wondering if something's a sin I love how Jesus categorized sin. Two times in the Bible, once he's talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and it was it was grace that he's even talking to her because any good Jew wasn't going to talk to a Samaritan. And he goes up there, and he starts talking to her. And then he says, uh, well, are you married? And she says, well, no, actually, I'm not married. I'm kind of living with a guy. And she, he goes, oh, I know, because you're not married to the guy that you're living with. And but in fact, you've lived with you've had like five husbands and this guy, even your husband that you're living with now. She's like, oh, my gosh, he knows everything about me. But then he says, man, I'm giving you everything you need. Everything that you're searching for with all those guys can be found in me right here. Go and sin no more. To another lady that was caught in adultery, um, she's fixing to be killed by all these religious people. And Jesus steps in and he says, hey, man, any of you fellas, y'all are more than welcome here. I'll hand you the rock. Here's a big old, here, here's a big old, you know, uh, melon thumper right here. Throw this one. If you're without sin, you can cast the first stone. All of them leave and Jesus says, woman, where are your condemners? She goes, I know not, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. And then he categorizes her sin. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, now look, if you just cheat every once in a while, that's okay, I'll forgive that. But if you do it a lot, I'm not going to forgive it. No, he doesn't say that. He just says, quit trying to live your life pleasing to yourself. He says, go and sin no more because sin is anytime you do anything that you know you shouldn't. That's it. Sinful desires. So, so whenever we are struggling and this war is being waged and we feel lonely and we feel like nobody understands us and, and, and we're trying to make these major changes in our lives and it just feels like we're the only one in the entire, you know, Satan's army is beating down on us. 
You know how a lot of us deal with it? We deal with it like this. We start self-medicating, trying to make ourselves feel better. Some people do it with alcohol. Some people do it with food. Some people do it with drugs. Some people do it with pornography. Some people do it with TV. Some people do it with with, with their couch. They just get lazy and they don't do anything because they don't want to deal with how hard it is. You know, some people do it by spending money because going out and spending money that you don't have makes you feel better for that long. And, And all of it is sinful desires trying to please ourselves instead of trying to please God. When this war starts raging and you start feeling alone, you feel like nobody understands you, you, you just, you're afraid, you don't know what's happening, you're trying to, you're trying to, to do what God tells you to do, there's a war that's gonna go on, and one of the first things that you're gonna think about, or you're already doing, is you're gonna try to self-medicate. In other words, you're going to say, God, you can't make me feel better, but these things give me this much gratification, so I'm going to do that. But when we do that, just like that commentary said, it makes us spiritually weak and ineffective. The second thing that we do when we're going through struggles, misery loves company, doesn't it? We start snapping at our loved ones. We start kind of... to our kids, or or we start blaming others for the way we feel because we don't want to take any personal responsibility because inside we're supposed to be following God, but this is really, really hard and I feel alone and I'm trying to make these changes and nobody seems to understand me. I'm the only one in the world going through any of this. I'm the only one with all these thoughts and why can't everybody else just be as miserable as I am? So I'm going to try to make them that way. Once again, you are turning away from what God wants and you're trying to make yourselves happy because nobody, you know, turn that smile upside down or whatever that says. That was wrong, but you know what I mean. And um, so, so we try to self-medicate. We try to make ourselves feel better. Or, or we try to inflict harm so other people can know what we're going through so that they can be miserable with us because, you know, there's nothing that stinks being in a good, in a bad mood and everybody else is in a good mood. You know, nobody wants that, right? So let's make everybody in a bad mood. The third thing that we do is we backslide. That's what we do. When we're struggling, when, when this war is being waged in our soul, we self-medicate, whether it be with TV or alcohol or drugs or bubble gum or, or just whatever. We, we quit thinking about God and we try to fix ourselves. Or, or, or we get angry at other people. We take, it, we take our frustrations out on other people instead of giving them to God. And the third thing that we do is we backslide. You know, when, when, when you first got into it, man you, man, you opened up that Bible, man, you were reading and you were reading every night and every night. And then as things got, as time went on, man, you, I'll read tomorrow. And then before long, you missed a day. And, and then before too long, you've missed a couple of days. And you used to pray all day. You'd wake up in the morning, man, you'd thank God for, you know, for, for lucky charms and cereal and, and, you know, just everything, man. You were great at praying, at reading your Bible, man. You wouldn't miss church for the world. And now, you know, you may can two times a month, maybe once a quarter, you know, just kind of. I went, so that's good. Yay, God. See that, God? You know, 
We start backsliding. We, qu- we quit praying. We quit turning over our problems to God. We quit reading His Word. We, 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 quit, we quit gathering together. We quit depending on the people that are sitting around us. And we start thinking that we're all alone. So what are we to do? I mean, if you want to be spiritually weak and ineffective, man, just keep on doing these things, man. You're going to nail it. I mean, it's going to be perfect. But Peter finishes up by saying this in verse 12. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that He visits us. Isn't that strange that at first he says, hey man, here you go as foreigners and exiles, um, do, do not give in to the sinful desires because they're going to wage war against your soul. And then in the next sentence he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, the last thing that Jesus said before he went back up into heaven after he uh, been resurrected. He said, while you were out in the world, recruit riders for my outfit and teach them to ride like I've taught you. Well, I mean, that, that's in cowboy language. If you, if you have to have it in Bible terms, he says, he says, go out into the world, make disciples of all men and all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I've commanded. I'm always going to be there with you, even until the very end. See, that's the last words Jesus said. So, so Peter is telling us, even though you're going through hard things, you are still supposed to go out there and recruit riders for, for Jesus' outfit. You're going to basically be laughed at, ridiculed, misunderstood, made fun of, feel alone, and basically your world is going to be turned upside down when you start following Christ, I guarantee it. But if you want to ride... For the long X ranch, and I'm not talking about ours, I'm talking about God's outfit. If you want to truly ride and you want to experience a life like no one else leads or lives, you've got to lead a life that no one else lives. You got to take the outside in every situation. You must be above reproach. Don't give anybody any excuse to say, they're going to say bad stuff about you anyway. Don't give them ammunition. Don't turn the gun on yourself. It says, go out there and you take the outside every single time. That's what I did on the San Pedro because I couldn't speak their language. I couldn't go to those three, those four cowboys and say, yeah, my dad works on the Rocker B. I've been living out there for about four years and I do this and I do that and I do this. No, I had to let my actions speak louder than my words. If there was the opportunity, I had to ride harder and I had to ride further than anybody else because I wanted to let them see what I was, not let them hear about what I was or what I labeled myself as. If you want to be a Christian and you want to do what God says right here by living such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He comes back, you got to ride further. you got to take the outside. Not talk about the outside. you got to take the outside. You've got to take the high road in every single situation. Second thing you got to do is you got to quit letting your feelings judge your every thought and action, but let God's Word and His promises do that. Because isn't that the way we go through life? I don't feel good today, so everything stinks. We, we just let our feet, we judge everything through the lens of how we are feeling. We got to cut that out. You, you, you're not going to feel good every day, but that doesn't, just because you don't feel good doesn't give you the right to not do what God tells you to do. And just because you feel bad doesn't mean that he's hightailed it out of there. you got to take the outside in every situation and quit letting your feelings judge your every thought and action. 
And you've got to quit making excuses and do what God is telling you to do. And quit whining about it. That was for me, not you. Because I, I have a real bad tendency when I'm by myself to play the poor pitiful me. Well, can't they see that I'm trying real hard? And I, I mean, I know I'm the only one that does that. But if you ever get that feeling, just take it from me. It doesn't work. You know, God, God he listens. And then he's kind of like, like Jared said one time, how he comforts people. Well... Hope that works out for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it, do, it doesn't work out that great. God, you know, God will listen to you, but he's not going to sit there. Oh, my poor baby. He's not going to do that. He's going to say, put your big boy britches on and deal with it. Get up. Take the outside. Quit letting your feelings judge your every thought and action. Quit making excuses and do what I tell you to do. That's how you deal with it. Everything is a struggle, guys. You're not alone. You think you're the only one going through a struggle? You're not. And here's a little hint. See, as Christians, we struggle, but so are the people out there in the world. They're struggling too. Life is a struggle. This is not heaven. This is hard. But when you ride for God's outfit, man, you know, you're not signing up for a Zumba class. You're enlisting in the Marines, okay? This isn't just a one-time-a-week deal. This is an everyday deal. We've got to take the outside in every situation. We've got to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, that they may see your good deeds and they will glorify God whenever He returns based upon what you did, what they saw you do. You taking the high road. You continuing to do what God tells you to do even when you don't feel like doing it. Picking up your Bible, reading the Word, even whenever you're tired or even when you're running late. You know what? I guarantee you, if you if you want to come to a service and meet with some other cowboys and cowgirls on a Sunday morning, the only time your cow is gonna is gonna bloat is gonna be Sunday morning at 9:45. Okay? They'll fake a bloat. They'll be like, "Here he comes," to try to keep you from coming. Okay? Quit making excuses. Do what God is telling you to do. Do what He's telling you to do. I was kneeled down and looking at the flat tire. I didn't want to change it. I didn't feel like changing it. I could think of a million excuses of a way I could get out of it. I was actually going to go get in somebody else's truck trailer and drive over there. Oh, you, I thought you meant this one. So I didn't have to change that tire, right? You can make We can make excuses and everything like that. I was sitting there making a million excuses to try to get out of it. And that's whenever I heard those Chihuahua Spurs come around the corner. And all of my fears, and all I never felt more alone, isolated from every prying eye. I had worked so hard. I'd taken the outside. I'd got up every morning. I'd done everything that was asked of me, more than was asked of me. I'd made major changes in my life. And around the corner came Zephyrino. Chink, 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 chink. And he stood over the top of me. And I was knelt down there. And finally, I figured it was better to die on my feet than on my knees. So I stood up and looked at him, and this is what happened. He looked at me for about five seconds, and that's really uncomfortable. If you'd like to try it, come on up, and we'll just like stare at each other for five seconds. It's really uncomfortable. He looked at me for like five seconds. He looked down, he goes, we got a flat tire, don't we? He spoke English the entire time. He's the only one on the ranch that spoke English, but he never talked to me. But you know what the point of that is? He wanted to see what I was made of first. What are you made of? 
Are you just talking about being a Christian? Or are you willing to take up that struggle and live a life that no one else leads so that you can live a life that no one else is going to lead, but you're going to lead it for eternity? Because here's the good news. It's on the other side of that struggle. And you will get to the other side of that struggle that you are going to realize what you're made of. All of these dreams that that you haven't really told anybody about, but that person that you've always dreamed of becoming lies not sitting on the couch in Lubbock, Texas, talking about being a cowboy. It means leaving everything else behind, everyone behind, and going and riding further and making major changes in your life and, and doing things that nobody else wants to do so that you can become who God has called you to be. Isn't that why we're here? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be the one that is ineffective and spiritually weak that just, you know, they put a toe in the water? Oh, it's cold. It's a struggle. I don't want to get in there. Are you man enough? Are you woman enough to ride out and overcome these struggles and do exactly what God is calling you to do? And I can guarantee you it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're going to fall down. You're going to trip. You're going to have shoulder surgery. You're going to have all of this stuff. But you're going to find out what you're made of. And who God made you to be is beyond your wildest dreams. I hope you will leave here today encouraged to stand up, to get off of your knees, and look this world in the eye and say, I ride for God, and I'm going to ride for God, no matter how hard it gets. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your message. I thank you for everybody sitting here. God, they've already taken that first step. If they're hearing this right here, they have found the courage to saddle up for you. Give them the courage to continue. Give them the courage to lean on you and not to self-medicate or take their frustrations out on on other people or or to, to quit doing what you've called them to do. God, encourage them to get in your word, to pray, to get with other other cowboys and cowgirls that are believers and get plugged in so that they can find encouragement and they can give assistance to those that need it. And God, speaking of those that need it, God, we all need you, but especially those that are sick and hurting right now that are in the hospital or needing healing or overcoming addictions of, of any kind. God, give them the courage and give us the courage to stand up, ride for you, ride further to live a life like no one else so that we can live a life like no one else. But we cannot do that without you, without your grace and without your mercy and without living out the truths in your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.